0: Good morning and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast with Biggs and Limbs. It is Tuesday, as always, hell, no matter what the day, are my co host the greatest alum of Florida State University, Stephanie Lynn. Good morning, Stephanie. How are you?
1: I'm in a really good mood today. How are you doing?
0: I see that.
1: I'm not bad.
0: So we talked before yesterday about how you had... You just, you deactivated your Facebook. Apparently, Facebook found out and they decided just to kind of shut it all down. <laughs>
1: yeah, they were like, well, she's not here. Let's just turn off the lights and go home.
0: <laughs> hey, unplug this shit, Bob. No, but. <laughs> did you see the level of people losing their shit over Facebook going down? I thought it was quite the reprieve. Like, I, there, there are people I, I didn't want to talk to or see. And I was like, okay, life goes on.
1: Yeah, I I didn't see it for a while. My daughter and I were uh, binge watching Gordon Ramsay Kitchen Nightmares episodes on YouTube at the time, and then I got on a couple hours after and saw that there was this panic, and I you know found out via Twitter, which I thought was hilarious. And it's like, oh, that explains. It. Well, we were also watching TikToks, and I was trying to look up this um, one girl used to be a big viner, and I was like, I wonder what she's doing now. And. Um, so I Googled her and the only thing that came up was Instagram and the Instagram wouldn't load. I'm like, nah, I'll just do that later. That's the only way that I knew anything was going on live in the time, but I didn't care enough to go looking to see if Instagram was down. I was just like, nah, big deal. And, um, then I got on and some of the responses and the replies and stuff, the replies to Twitter saying, hello, everyone Mm -hmm. was just hilarious. Like, you know, all these brands coming up and saying stuff. My favorite was Tampax replying, saying, we'll just insert ourselves here.
0: Ha! 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 It's not creepy at all.
1: It's funny. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, you know, back when I was like a teenager, it would have been, oh, my God, we don't actually acknowledge what our product is and does. And today they're like, yep, here it is. <laughs> like, hey, how are <laughs> you a doing? a healthier attitude. And so it's like that's, you know, people seem to have fun with it. And, you um, yeah, the people who didn't have fun with it are the people who are like, "Oh my God, my top vaccine research site is offline." Yes,
0: the so. the, I, the I do my research, folks.
1: Yeah, who, somebody said, who, you can "Tell them it's just down for conservatives."
0: Yep, just down for conservatives. People were freaking out. I was like, I didn't care. I just use it to like push our show on the various mm-hmm. Facebook groups and just like I'll talk football, I'll insult the conservative, and I go on about my fucking way. It, you know, it's it's not really like the place. Or I have family by East and I'll drop pictures of of the kids. Just you know, but otherwise nah. Twitter is is my home. Yes. Yeah. Until they kick me off. No, um but <laughs> it kinda leads into what we talked about yesterday about the whistleblower interview. Do you think there's put your tinfoil hat on. I mean I'm I'm okay. not sure if the hair is dead, but it kinda slowly apply the hat. Do you think this had anything to do with the interview on sixty minutes on Sunday or was this just a happenstance?
1: Um, as Malcolm Nance says, coincidence takes a lot of planning. So I don't think it was coincidence. It's you know, I like I'll definitely have my tinfoil hat on for this. Yeah, it it cost them a couple of billion dollars. That's nothing to Mark Zuckerberg. He would be willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna lose seven billion dollars but okay, let's just take the site completely down. And it's not just that Facebook was down for the casual user. Facebook was down as an inner office system, a way of communicating, a way of getting documents, a way of getting studies. Nobody could get into their stuff. Nobody could get any work done. And he said, oh, we're just considering it a snow day. Stuff like that doesn't happen to the biggest data company in the country, in the world. Without someone purposefully doing it, so I think what happened is he's like, let's just shut this down on Monday. Take a look around and see what's going on. Let's go see who's getting what documents out. That's what this was about, and that it happened to affect users as well was just collateral damage.
0: I mean, I I thought I read today is the testimony day, or oh, am I wrong?
1: I don't know, to be honest. Um. She's talking check. to somebody, but I don't know if it's testimony, deposition, what it may be.
0: It is according to the lady, the who, who was law actually released, well, her name is Frances Haugen, mm-hmm. and she'll be testifying to the Senate today at 9 a.m. on Instagram and Facebook's impacts on children and society at, law, at large. So in front of the Commerce Committee. Oops, so that's yeah. It makes the, the washing of the files, you know, kind it's kind of kind of weird. If we talk a little bit about about Martin board real quickly, do you think that I mean we talked about that one guy on uh, Twitter who decided to use the you know the old uh, CS as a slur and try to stand behind his neurodivergent diagnosis as a reason why people like to give Mark Zuckerberg a little bit of a pass because they believe that he's on the spectrum.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, do you think that his monopolistic business practices has anything to do with that or do you think that people need to shut the fuck up?
1: Well, one, I do think that he's on the spectrum and that's why I don't play into the Mark Zuckerberg robot jokes. I think that's a symptom of his condition. Um, and is it awkward? Yeah. If I, if I thought he had a sense of humor about it, I would probably play into that kind of thing. But um, I don't think that he does. But that doesn't. If, he, if he's neurodivergent, if he's on, if he's autistic, that doesn't give him the right to be a jerk to people. It's not a, a you know get out of being accountable card. It's you know I mean he created. Facebook as a way to rank women, and now he's turned it into a a thing where he's basically selling other people's information to make money. That has nothing to do with being autistic. It's you know I'm not going to cut him any slack on that. If he's a jerk, he's a jerk. But um, you know, I, I, there, there's definitely a line of you know I'll, I'll cut people slack for symptoms for, you know, things that, you know, if you're misinterpreting what people are saying to you, you know, like I said the other day about having face blindness, name blindness, stuff like that, those definitely are symptoms of neurodivergency, but selling information about other people, that's that's a different kettle of fish, so.
0: That's assholery.
1: Assholery. That's the word I was looking for.
0: Assholery. Because... Like I said, it's just people want to give a dude just all sorts of slack. Like, no, you know, you're just you're just a douchebag. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're a money douchebag who used, like I said, like you said, you use an app to grade women. Mm-hmm. Dude, this this is what they teach at Harvard. Mm-hmm. This is what folks do at the other league. You could have been putting this time to all other shit, but yet you chose to be this guy.
1: Yeah. Um, Elon Musk has already used it. As in, he's used, He actually has a diagnosis, and has used it as an excuse of, like, it's he's made it public like he's going to fall back on it sometime. And it's like, you know, we all know that you're a jerk, and then you come out with your diagnosis, and then people are like, oh, that's why he's a jerk. No, he's a jerk because he's a jerk. He also happens to be autistic.
0: In the realm of random softball stories a couple of years ago, I was at a tournament, and we had just lost. It was 90 degrees. It was hot. Mm. I was sitting there. I was fat. It was just, I was tired. And um, it, like, there's a post-game high-five where you kind of stand in the middle of the field and you high-five. Like, you walk by and you put your hand up. I missed the guy. Just straight up missed. I was tired. My arm was tired. Mm-hmm. I hear this guy, well, fuck you then, Bigs. And I stopped on a dime. Well, I'm slower, so I stopped on a quarter. And I turned around and I asked him what he said. And he said, like, I said, and I took him by his face and I pushed him to the ground because I was, I was annoyed. And I was just about to grab him. And then I heard somebody say the following. Oh, he didn't mean it. He's just, you know, he's on the spectrum. He's autistic. And I'm like, my kid is, I don't care. Don't be an asshole to people. And I sat there and I had to go upstairs to the lead president's office. And he's like, well, you know, you know this is how he is. Is his the diagnosis. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to treat him like, a, like I get treated. That doesn't stop you from being a douchebag. From that point on, that dude has never said a word to me ever again. Yeah. And okay. they wanted to cut him slack. I'm like, nah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. He felt the nerve to come out of his mouth that way. And I'm like, nah, it's and as, like I said, as a parent of a child on the spectrum, I am real quick to correct people. Just saying, hey, you, know, don't infantilize my kid. Because I've seen other people try to do that and, like, baby talk her, and she looks at them like they're out of their minds. Like, what? And it's just because I don't want her to grow up as an adult trying to, like you so said, like Elon Musk will probably use that as a, a future alibi or excuse, mm-hmm. not it. Now, let's talk about a country, New Zealand, and COVID. They Ooh. were one of the first countries to kind of get a handle on it, and mm-hmm. but they're starting to step away from their zero tolerance policy as far as COVID. What do you think prompted this and do you think this will mark a change in how other countries handle the pandemic?
1: Um, you know, it I was interested in the New Zealand thing. They are in a kind of a different position, being an island, where they really have a lot of control over who enters the country and you know, like stuff like that. It's um, my kid and I like to play Age of Empires together, and one of the things they do when they we play islands is they'll build a wall all around the island, so there's no way for my people to get in and attack them. Um, so. I, I pictured New Zealand like that, like they built a virtual wall all around the islands and kept people out who um, might come in and, and bring COVID. And it worked for them, whatever it was that they were doing. And I think like most, um, you know, for lack of a better term, first world countries are kind of at their point now of everyone who's gotten vaccinated is pretty much vaccinated. Everyone who's going to wear a mask is wearing a mask. Um, So what more you can do, we're kind of all at the limit of what we can do just because our populace won't go along with the preventative measures that we know work. And so it's interesting to see New Zealand, they seem to have more cooperative residents, but they still have people who, you know, COVID's still there. People are still spreading it. People still aren't getting vaccinated. People still aren't masking. And it's interesting to see how they've had to change in order to accommodate their their citizenry, just meet them where they are, just to stop the spread of COVID. And I don't know what their rates of vaccination are. I don't know what their rates of, you know, COVID infection and death are. But I know it's nothing like what we had here, so... Those early measures had to have done something positive that our lack of early measures didn't do. So, um, you know, I just think it's one of those cases of if you ever play those games where, uh, like, there's a contagion leased on the world and then you have to take certain steps and hit certain buttons and you watch how things spread, it might kind of end in Oceania or Madagascar or something like that, but it will get there and it will take over that's just the nature of the beast so yeah I wish them all luck they they were doing all the right things and they were kind of an example for the rest of us and they've had to kind of you know give a little just because of the nature of what it is
0: 40.5% of the population in New Zealand is fully vaccinated as of Sunday that is 5.4 million people Uh, of the actual doses that have been given, 2.06 million are fully vaccinated. That's a pretty decent number. Like, Mm -hmm. That is... It's one of those things when I look at Justin and Arden where they were the first to come out and just kind of get things right. I like their approach. Folks want to say it's giving up. It's not really giving up. It's trying to alter it to account for the fucker that's been happening worldwide, especially in this country, Mm -hmm. here. And... They have a pretty good grasp of it, and like I said, you hope that with time, this eventually goes away. Now, what we want to actually come forward is post-office check cashing. Explain the marvel of this and how ecstatic we should both be.
1: I love this idea. I'm so excited about this. Um, The United States Postal Service is already testing in um, the D.C. area, Falls River, maybe Baltimore, places like that, cities, the idea of paycheck cashing at the post office. And what you get is um, a maximum $500 Visa gift card. So like say your paycheck is $1,000, you get two of them. Um, And I don't know what the fees are. Nothing I read told me what the fee is, but kind of going off of what the fee is to get a money order, it's practically change. It's just a small amount of uh, what the thing is that you're getting. And so then you have cash in hand or the equivalent of cash in hand right away. And there are a lot of people, I think 5% of the total population, but in Hispanic and black communities, 25% or more of the population doesn't have access to banking, meaning there's no bank near you or you don't qualify for the accounts or the account that you could get has so many fees and stuff that it really, you're paying the bank to be able to cash your own check. So the idea of having banking in the post office is one that has been kind of kicked around in this country for a long time. In Europe, they do it. In Italy, in the UK, you can bank through the post office. I think the post offices are privatized, but still. So for people in rural areas, and I saw this all growing up, I see it around here, um, you don't have a bank everywhere. But what you do have is a post office. And it may still be a drive to the post office, but there's still one in every community. And to be able to access your money is like a basic right that you should be able to get it and get it without having a bunch of fees. And for a lot of the people who would be able to use the post office for paycheck cashing, they go to like payday lenders who will charge you you know, like 33% of your next paycheck as a loan in order to be able to access your own money. And then you get into a hole of paying back this loan with you, this usurious rate and you never get out of that hole and it keeps poor people poor and it's a big racket. And so the payday lenders are not gonna like this. Banks don't like it because, you know, this is gonna take the fees out of their pockets. So if banks and payday lenders don't like it, it's gotta be a good thing. Just the idea for senior citizens, for you know, um people who have mobility problems, stuff like that, if the post office could help you out with getting the cash you need to pay your bills into your hand, That's, that could be transform life-changing, transformative stuff. So if this is what we're in store for with new progressive legislation and stuff, let's go for it. Let's see how it works. I think this will make a big difference to a lot of people.
0: Because before that, in a lot of city areas, you had check cashing places. Now, for those mm-hmm. who not know, I'm not sure, check how some places are. Think of the legalized criminal element, where you'd walk in, you you would have to cash a check. They would charge you a decent, not a decent. They charge you, and these people were just—it was just weird. Just it, it was awkward. It was weird. The same place with actually sell you beepers and money. Was, it was just, it didn't seem like it was, I don't know. It felt less above board than it should be, but a lot of these are in um marginalized communities, and for me, it's the post office gives this uh air of legitimacy that was sorely needed and continues to be sorely needed. Plus, it makes it like, you know what? It's trustworthy. Like, it's a federal thing, and Except a lot of folks don't really go to banks. I know I can think of at least top of my head like six or 10 people who keep all their money at home. Mm-hmm. Keep it under a mattress, keep it in a safe, keep it near a gun safe, but that's just another story. But it's more of they don't trust the bank. They don't trust the banks and not take from them. Mm-hmm. And this is a step of, like you said, it's, I like this idea. Now we come back, we need to talk about money that we can't trust, but that's when we come back. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast with Bigs and Lens on the FPC Radio Network. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens, Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lens. Stephanie, the state of South Dakota is apparently becoming the Cayman Islands of banking in America. Now, not not because of the tropical location. I've been to South Dakota. It is literally the greasy underbelly of the of the United States as far as travel and locations. Now, the banking issue of you know financial security is really high there. Is that strange to you, or do, do you think that more states have stricter laws and they just don't really advertise it?
1: It knocked me on my ass. I couldn't believe that South Dakota has like $360 billion in customer assets because people like to hide their money there they have laws that set it up they you know basically the big one is if someone sues you civilly they cannot go after your assets and so all these foreigners hide their money in South Dakota banks who knew it's crazy so there's got to be at least one other state one other state with not much going on that this you know makes something attractive but it does kind of make me it 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 opened up my eyes about why why do we care so much about the South Dakota governor aha uh-huh. It's not just that she's, you know, a bouncy ball. It's also that her state is also helping, you know, like Russian oligarchs hide their money. You know, I know that Delaware has interesting financial laws. That's why all the credit card companies are in Delaware. But Delaware consists of three counties, and it's right there by Philly and New York and stuff. It's not like it's out in the middle of nowhere doing God knows what. You know, I've seen Deadwood. I know what goes on in South Dakota.
0: It is a frontier onto yeah. each other of boredom. No, it it is, <laughs> I'm just saying, I have been there, like I said, other than South Dakota State, mm-hmm. you know, Jackrabbits, uh, but it is just nothing on top of nothing. And to have that much money and customer assets,
1: mm. it's a little ingenious. Yeah, it, it all bloomed in the last decade, it went from, like oh, just over $50 million, billion dollars to $360 billion in the last 10 years. So something's going on. Something hinky.
0: Something is funky in, in South Dakota. It is not what they, they have for or what passes as a burrito, but that's in the story down the line. Ha, it's foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, we need to talk about the California oil spill. Now, for those of a certain age, like we are, we remember the Exxon Valdez. We remember the the Gulf Coast oil spill. Am I shocked that we're still having oil
1: spills? Yeah, it's a very 80s kind of thing, isn't it? It's. Mm-hmm. I thought that we were that we had safety protocols and stuff in place, and now this. I mean, I get it when a rig something happens, but, um, you know. We really need to look hard at, you know, why are we drilling all this oil and why are we are we okay with these kinds of consequences so that we can rely on oil-based transportation and and stuff like that. So there's, you know, perfectly good sun up there. We could be getting lots of power from alternative resources and just the lobbies and the energy companies, they don't want us to do that. And then we look at this and we we're like, are we okay with this?
0: I. This is why the moves to clean energy will become helpful. I just I, as petty and as sarcastic as I find myself, I really can't watch those poor little ducks covered in oil. Now I will watch the Dawn commercial where they grab the little oil-covered ducks and they wash them off and Dawn and they're fine and let's them walk around. Yeah. I'm a sucker for that kind of cute shit. But to watch this animals that, you know, aren't going to make it and all the fish. It's, yeah, there needs to be something. Like, they've had how many decades to get this shit right, and they haven't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not pushing them, and there's just, there's no pressure on them to fix it.
0: Now, this story just stuns me. There is a report, and I'm going to get this right because I'm still just, Floored by it, but babies have 15 times more microplastics in their bodies than adults. This was in the Euro News. Now, there's a joke there about, you know, if the baby was born to her Kardashian having plastic in their bodies, but that's. But. What, how? Like, how did we get here?
1: I read that it's mostly coming from pacifiers and from the fabrics of the clothing. Because I was like, certainly they're not born with microplastics in them. It, it was kind of a misleading headline when it was going around initially. But it turns out that it's the products that we are exposing infants to. Um, and it's pacifiers, which my kids both love pacifiers. My um, older used to be able to manipulate. She could have two or three in each hand and one in the mouth, and she would swap them around and... It was the cutest thing. but um, oh. oh, and then one time we were at a Pier 1, and she had a little purse, and she's like about three years old. And the girls at the checkout said, oh, what do you have in your purse? And she opened it up, and she said, binkies and crayons. See? <laughs> that's what she had in her purse. So it's that, and it's the fabrics. Today's fabrics have microplastics in them. Um, like, you know, I have pajamas on right now. I didn't get dressed this morning yet. But there's this silky fabric that's around. And I love stuff that's made out of it. This kind of fabric didn't exist, you know, even 10 years ago. And it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's probably got some kind of microplastic, something that makes it this soft cotton that's so desirable that PJs are made out of it, loungewear, infant's clothes, stuff like that. So, um, you know, kids are more likely to put things in their mouths, you know, babies can chew on, you know, clothing as well as pacifiers, stuff like that. So that's where the microplastics are coming from. The good news on this article that I found interesting is that mussels actually are filtering and cleaning up a lot of the microplastics. They can clean, I think, at least 25% of the microplastics out of the water around them they've found. So, you know, there is a natural solution to this man-made problem up to a limit. So, um, you know, the microplastics, we were also using them in like BB creams and face stuff, and, you know, that kind of went by the wayside, but the products are still out there. There are countries that don't regulate that stuff, and we all use the same water. So unless there's a worldwide stoppage of the use of the microplastics or at least a a slowing down, the problem's not going to get better.
0: If they need to continue to find better materials and like I said, big have plastics are they've been around and they don't buy they don't really buy the grade mm-hmm. on a unrelated note binkies and crayons should be the name of your daughter's first art exhibit
1: you know that's she's kind kind of trying to come up with a name for what she would make an animation studio it's a brilliant idea she i'm gonna tell her when she gets up <laughs> <laughs> It's <hers>. it's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she's still a teenager. She's still in bed. But <laughs> Hey,
0: just tell her, hey, once, once they start making merch hoodies, can we get thick hoodies because some of us live in Wisconsin and come get this money?
1: <laughs> I am going to get up her butt about that this week. We, <laughs> she skipped, She's doing Inktober. She let me put up one of her drawings. Um, I saw it. Yeah, she let yes. me put up one of her drawings because Little Shop of Horrors was on TCM on Sunday night. They're watching – they're doing – horror or uh, monster movies every Sunday hosted by Mario Cantone. He picked them, and he and Ben Mankiewicz are going to talk about them. So last week um, was The Birds, which Mm -hmm. she absolutely loves, and um, followed by Little Shop of Horrors, which she had never seen. And it's a musical version, not the 1960 Roger Corman film. So um, she let me share her man-eating plant, and she skipped Inktober yesterday. But she's going to do two drawings today, and then I will get up her butt about the the news that she made up.
0: And the merch. Now, (laughs) going from emerging artist to current douchebag, apparently, Vladimir Putin has been, you know, uh, he may have taken himself a lover.
1: Mm. This
0: is the leader of the unfree world.
1: (laughs) True. no lies detected
0: so this woman you know is a owner of an apartment in Monaco and Vladimir apparently fathered a kid a girl
1: mm-hmm.
0: now I just laugh at the just the covert nature of this like yeah. The surprise like Vlad's an old KGB guy and he's out here like being furtive with the ladies. He doesn't strike me as a James Bond type. He I mean, despite wearing take a picture shirtless, just just awkward. Like if he didn't have power he'd be Vlad the Dork.
1: Yeah.
0: Watch me get poisoned for saying that shit. No, um
1: <laughs> You're gonna disappear
0: someday. <laughs> go on. Welcome to the Tuesday Podcast. We are no longer black because one of us is gone. Um, but,
1: black somebody turned out the lights.
0: <laughs> forever. But do you think when people cover Vlad that they kind of tread easily because they're afraid of what we just talked about, like we joked about being like snatched up?
1: Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, people have people who piss him off have a habit of you know contracting poison and dying. So yeah, there's you know if if I were this woman, I would probably have been like you know yeah you know I'll I'll give you what I want what you want because I want it too and you know then you need to set me up with a shell company within a shell company within a shell company and an apartment in Monaco and you know all the you know trappings of capitalism that my daughter can Instagram hmm And then and that's never, what happened
0: and they will never talk again because mm-hmm. I will never say your name. Yeah. but she should have never was her press. I mean that I'm
1: not, but her, not with
0: her. Go ahead.
1: She named the girl the girl's middle name is Vladimirovna, Which you know Russian middle names are um Ovich or Ovna and then the father's name. So the daughter's middle name is Vladimirovna. Mm-hmm. So you know she, you can tell without telling.
0: Yeah, like you could have just kind of kept it a secret. I
1: mean yeah, it's what, not I mean, like Vladimir's an uncommon name, but still.
0: Yeah, it's I mean that's gonna be a hell of a like open house at the school. <laughs> or a show and tell. <laughs> well there, little Katie Poohin, what do you do? <laughs> what does your dad do? Well my uh dad works in this giant building that uh yeah, he works in a building. He said to not talk about his business. Okay. We're going to move on to little Johnny Jones over here. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, dad shows up to work the book fair, and the only book they sell is the Communist Manifesto.
0: Yep. Or dad shows up uh, selling cookies. What? (laughs) Everybody gets cookies.
1: (laughs) Everyone has cookies. cookie. One cookie for you, one cookie for you.
0: Why is there? They will hide the
1: rest of their cookies in South Dakota.
0: Exactly. Why are there 95 people in the line for cookies? <laughs> cookies and <laughs> blue jeans. Why? Why are we selling jeans at the cookie fair?
1: The hell. I took a Russian culture class my first semester at Penn State, and um, my Russian teacher was the daughter of Russian immigrants, and she. One of the things she used to do was she would run jeans <laughs> over to Russia and come back with all this Russian stuff. Like I had um the nesting dolls and like tapestries and things like that that were interesting. She said they just give them away in in exchange for Levi's jeans. She's like, I'd go to Value City and pick up some cheap knockoffs. No, not knockoffs, but like defective Levi's and they're like, Oh these are great. That's how it was like nineteen eighty nine. So I did see, a, it cracks me up.
0: I did a girl who was Russian. Oh. This was long ago. Her mom was Russian, her dad was Lithuanian. And just imagine, you know, mid-90s black guy in house with Russian and Lithuanian folks. I didn't stick out. And just to hear, like, we sat there and they like soccer, they like hockey. And I said, I'm a hockey fan. Just to hear both sides of our family argue with each other over hockey. I'm like, oh my God. And then it, it went from that to like, oh, it was like celebrating because it was food and then it was like drinking and then it was like fighting. Like, oh, I really had to pick up a fight between her mother's her mother's brother and her father's brother-in-law. So you had Lithuania in one corner, a Russian-American other corner, and I'm like, um, I literally had to put on the referee's shirt and say, hey, knock that shit off. And it's just the culture is more like these are people. Who they, they're tough people. They don't like yeah. her grandma. Just scared the shit out of me. Like nice lady, she's a sweetheart. She had these crystal blue eyes, mm-hmm. and she just look at you like she like look through you. I'm like oh fuck this, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> I need to go do something else. But moving from like Russian dictators to North Korean mm-hmm. dictators. Apparently, there's a a little bit of a I guess we call it school board extortion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did you think of this story, and how do we describe this?
1: The <laughs> headline is: North Carolina school board has passed a policy preventing critical race theory in its classrooms after county commissioners threatened to hold withhold nearly eight million in funding. Okay, so if you if we don't teach the thing we're already not teaching, you'll give us $8 million. Okay. I mean, I can continue to not do a thing that I'm already not doing if someone wants to give me $8 million. That's fine. You know, you want to give me $8 million for not jogging five miles a day? Great. I'll continue to not jog five miles a day. <laughs> bring bring it on. I'll take it over to the bank and over to the post office and cash it. Yeah, that's what's going on. Is It's some of this performative bullshit about critical race theory, which doesn't exist outside of law school level education. Well, you know, so what they're going to do is now they've turned the catchphrase critical race theory into anything critical of white people. So if you want to teach about reconstruction, Jim Crow, voting rights, Brown versus Board of Education, any of that kind of stuff, if they don't like it, they're going to call it critical race theory and say well you're not going to get your funding for the school it's ridiculous nonsense
0: It is. this is in Johnson County where it is 15% black Hmm. and this is north it's like kind of uh east central North Carolina that's a whole lot of directions from one description but east central North Carolina it is in uh the Raleigh Durham area, and it is—it's mm. stunning to see folks still doing it. They are literally strong army people, and I'm like, why are people so that so afraid of critical race theories? Just kind of out there. I mean, it's—it's it's a necessity.
1: Yeah, it's a necessity. You know, at if you've got to understand law and and how laws were made, it's—it's it's not anything that's about actual. You know, like like history. So it's like, well, what is it that they actually want people to stop teaching? Well, they want them to stop teaching. You know, we've been terrible to black people, and they're rightfully pissed off. They, and I, I'm not seeing it here yet. Here they're still on about mask mandates. But you know it's coming, and the one black kid who attends this high school is going to be like, oh, okay, I guess I can't learn about American history then, how it affected me.
0: Like, they they re- really, truly want to ignore it and say, oh, it didn't happen. Well, it kind of did happen. And it's just, it's more of not wanting to be held accountable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some white yeah. folks do not like being held accountable for shit that, that has happened that they have had a hand in that they still benefit from.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, so at what point are you just going to say, you know what, I got to own this? I need to take this L and just say, you don't try to be better. Nope. We're going to sit there and ignore it. And just denied, denied, denied. When everybody and their mama can see that shit went sideways, it is so weird to me.
1: People are exhausting.
0: People are tired as fuck. I'm sorry. God damn. Mm-mm. What is not tiring as fuck is just hearing the anger from NASCAR fans over <laughs> Bubble Wallace won a race in Talladega, and I will tell you this. There's nothing sweeter than watching people freak out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a black guy named Bubba in NASCAR. That's how far off the, my NASCAR knowledge is.
0: I'm reading the Facebook comments. There's a guy. First of all, his name is John Wesley Matthews, which definitely either sounds like an old West uh, saloon owner. He you says, know, so a year ago we had the whole quote, "stand was Bubba" spectacle. Spectacle, spelled (laughs) S-P-E-C-T-I-C-A-L. Side note, don't use words you can't spell, motherfuckers. Seriously. Anyway, so Spectacle at this track. This year he gets a participation award. Way to go, Bubba. And when you look at dude's picture, he looks like a melted fucking candle. So no. You don't get to talk about anybody else, douchebag. Now, when I scroll down the comments, and it's always white dudes worked out real well for you, NASCAR, didn't it? Let's let's picture this guy's wearing a tuxedo, and he looks like he uses a hard R for sport. And I just... And it's always people from... And there's people, this dude named Rusty sitting there commentating. I'm like, dude, your name is Rusty. You're just jealous that a black dude gets to do the job that you wish you could, but you didn't have skill or the ability to do it while you're watching him do it. <laughs> My dad was a NASCAR fan. He, he was a fan of Richard Petty, which is funny because his son also embraces Petty. Um, <laughs> but. Bad. Thank you. I, I had a moment. <laughs> but I would go to these parks of uh, the tracks, I should say, once in a while with him, and it was awkward. There's one in Watkins Glen, New York. Like, this is upstate New York. And you, I would see the Confederate flag. What the fuck? I'm like, wait, what? This is New York. New York was never a Confederate state. Nope. And it's just like... I will ride with Bubba Wallace as, you know, just to piss people off. Just, it pisses people off. It, mm-hmm. Although they did have a, a driver, hand to God, this was his name, a black driver in the 80s, Willie T. Rips. I switched God, that was his name. His last name was really, his last name was really Rips. I <sighs> just couldn't stop laughing at that. It is... I stereotype rapping in a conundrum rap in high County, but Bubba Wallace is just its wild to me that people are this upset.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's wild to me that we're still having first black person to win something in sports, that we're still, at least there are still sports that exist that we're still having first in. Um, it's amazing. And I, I seeing Bubba Wallace here, I didn't know he was sponsored by McDonald's either. That's awesome.
0: I mean, now we gotta end with well, one of the things we end with was the greatest job in American history. Yeah. So there's a singer named Ladonia. She is from San Francisco. She literally is—I can't even believe this. She's a burrito reviewer for the for SFK.com. Mm-hmm. Her name is Cecilia Cassandra Pena Govea like okay, Ladonia, is she really is a burrito reviewer. How can we get this job?
1: I don't know, but I need to know. And I also need to know, what is the burrito scene like in San Francisco that the local paper necessitates having a burrito reviewer? I mean, I know that there's a mission district, but you know, San Francisco is not a huge city you know area wise and it's like well what's the burrito scene like and i'm like did i miss something the many times that i've been there and eaten you know street food of crab that was in the bay that morning and should it have been a burrito (laughs) and it's like perhaps it should have been so now i just need to go back and and be like okay burrito me so And she's got one going already. Um, La Taquiera is where she's starting. And it's like, okay, so apparently you can get it delivered through DoorDash. And I'm like, do you deliver 3,000 miles away? I could sure you the burrito.
0: I mean, what job would you have? What food reviewing job would you have?
1: What, food? Yeah. I I could definitely review cakes for a living. because. There's a lot of variety in cake. And then there's also a lot of variety in cake quality. So I could definitely be like, no, no, this one's too dry. No, that one's too sweet. No, that one has shitty frosting. That one needs strawberries with it. Yeah, I could definitely be, like, judgmental about cake for sure. And then, you know, I could probably throw in some other stuff on top of that. But, yeah, I, I would definitely go with, like, dessert reviews and specifically cakes. That would be my specialty.
0: I thought I was being a Tequila Sunrise reviewer, but then my lip would turn so black that Urban Urban Meyer would try to recruit it. So no. I would go with, I think I would go with like comfort food reviewer, like just mac and cheese, collard greens, soul food, comfort food, Mm -hmm. ribs, things like that. Because to me, comfort food is the ultimate just, it makes you feel good. And mm-hmm. I have certain rules. One of the rules I have is you shouldn't have to oversauce your ribs or your barbecue. Yes. I have a long standing beef with Kansas City barbecue because one, it's sugary and nonsensical. It's, it's like the show The Girls Next Door when Hugh he Heffner was, you know, Like when he lived with all the Playboy models, all the Playboy Playmates, it just it was sugary nonsensical. It just didn't make sense. And Kansas City Barbecue is that it's it's bad. It's here, let me take this unseasoned dry rib that, you know, Ben Shapiro has eyes for and throw it in a giant vat of what the would the barbecue equivalent be of Prego or any canned pasta sauce and let it sit there and absorb all of this glucose fuckery and it's just mm -mm, that I would be a comfort food reviewer because apparently there's a burrito reviewer and I'm stunned by that. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think the burritos are comfort food. I think they fall under that.
0: They do. And I'm so happy for LaDonia the fact that she has managed to take a love and a passion and actually get paid to review fucking burritos. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. I mean, I am happy for it. I'm sad for me a little bit. Like, wait, well, I kind of want that job. That, that's <laughs> a pretty cool fucking job. Now, we will. and you sent me a clip of Dave Grohl playing acoustic on Howard Stern. I did. Is it possible that throughout rock history even though the Foo Fighters have been wildly successful, even though Nirvana is an iconic band, Dave Grohl is still kind of underrated?
1: Yeah. I um, got um, a thing, you know, when you go to YouTube and they suggest videos to you, I got recommended a video of an old um, interview with Steve Martin and Martin Short. And then after that, this version of My Hero was recommended. And... It blew me away. It's from 1999. So if you want to get in the, in the Wayback Machine and go listen to Dave Grohl do an acoustic My Hero with uh, Taylor from um, Foo Fighters just sitting on the sofa next to him, feet up, just grooving along, um, you can go to the Howard Stern channel on YouTube. And he's got a playlist of live in-studio performances. The engineering is amazing on them. The sound is, is good. Um, but, yeah, to listen to just Dave Grohl and a guitar, just simply sitting on somebody's sofa and knocking out a hero, my hero it's it'll take you back, and it will remind you like hey there's that's how this guy used to be. This is this guy still kind of finding his way after being in what was going to be the next big band, and you know he made Foo Fighters all on his own that first album that's all just Dave Grohl, and then he had to create a band to go on forward with it so he's still navigating this and even though now he's like the guy for gen x and rock and roll he's performed with everybody he's well liked he's i don't think he's ever done anything problematic that i can think of um family guy and he's still pumping it out and we still don't realize the level of musicianship that dave grohl has Yeah, yeah he's popular he's great to interview he's a lot of fun but just to see him simply sit down with a guitar is just very moving. So if you're looking for something fun to listen to, it's just about oh a few minutes. There's a minute or so of Robin and Howard telling him what his own song's about, and finally Dave's like, "Okay, fine, let's just move on." <laughs> but there's some really good stuff on that playlist too. There's a version of Enter Sandman on there that'll blow your mind. Kind of 2015. that. Kind of yeah, it's good. I've got it in my watch history. I can send it to you, but um yes please yeah it's it's really good, and um, I haven't gone through the whole playlist of live in perform you know live and studio performances, even if you're not a Howard Stern fan, um, you know, just skip over the first minute or two, you can see where he stops talking, he doesn't interrupt the musician, and he is just appreciative at the end. If you ever liked watching musicians on Letterman or something where they would just sit back and let the musician do their thing, it's that kind of a performance. Um, and I know that he always will talk to musicians, have them perform, talk to them, have them perform. That's kind of just how he does stuff. But this playlist is just edited down. There's some relevant talk at the beginning, but it's mostly just the music.
0: I mean, I Howard, for all of his whatever, it's weird to see how this man has changed his of himself how many times. And yeah. he went from, even though he was a fan, or not fan, was a friend of Trump, he was the first person to get in and say, you know what, stop. Stop doing this. And he said that Trump never really wanted the job. He just thought, he he didn't think he would ever win, but now he's being he won, he's over his head.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked on about him not too long ago here about um, the stuff that, he, him coming out and saying about the anti-vaxxers being full of shit. Like, yeah, we need somebody with a big voice to tell these people that they're full of shit. Somebody they'll actually listen to. I mean, this yeah.
0: cr- he's crafted on long rhythm for it. Yeah, some, some, a lot of his humor back in the day was cringe. Cringe. Wow. There were a couple of funny moments, but it, it it's cringe. But it when it came to interviewing, he was kind of a... He would pull no punches.
1: Have you and ever heard where the serial killer, the guy who said he was a serial killer called up to the show, and Howard interviewed him.
0: <clears throat>
1: if if everybody's not sure about Howard's interview skills, that's a good one to listen to. The guy does say some of the things that he alleges that he's done, so that might be a deterrent to listening. But um, Howard, you know, first of all, he gave the guy a name, tried to get him to trip up and give what his real name was. He um, like It's basically like almost a cop interview in some ways because he knows what he's doing so well that he's trying to get the guy to trip up. He's trying to get him to give out details, but he's also very subtle. And he's also asking the guy questions, just talking to him like one person to another. And it was an on-the-fly interview of someone who just called up. And it's kind of mind-blowing how good Howard Stern is at what he does because you kind of forget that he's actually a very competent interviewer because you know, he's bombastic and kind of, you know, wants you to be shocked a lot. But at the core of it is someone who's, you know, he's been doing this for so long that he knows exactly what he's doing.
0: I mean, he was doing this when we were, like, small children. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I remember watching his show when I was, like, there was a TV version of it. On uh, WWR, R, nine
0: yeah. It
1: was
0: so bad. And then he went to E! Entertainment. I'm like, oh, no. And then... I just in my favorite parts were the, the way he would grill celebrities because he, he, mm-hmm. he had something John Belinda's ask Billy Crystal. Would they be a Mr. Saturday night too based on Mr. Senate, which was an awful movie and a look on Billy Crystal's face. Mm-hmm. Whoo, boy. And it, it, it was just, to me, it was funny. It was, you know, like I said, a lot of it was cringe and, a lot of the satellite stuff is funny to see the cast fighting amongst each other because they don't really hope, like, when Artie Lang was on there. Artie Lang, oh, boy. Yeah. Artie Lang just, he just said whatever came to his mind. Mm-hmm. And okay. I do have, sorry, I'll go ahead.
1: No, I, you go ahead and finish because I got a different point.
0: There is a movie. It is called Beer League. You need to see it. It is about, Artie Ari Lang's in it. He wrote, starred or they have so it's a smaller movie, but so many like bigger names or big names in it. Like not big names, but Ralph Baccio's in it. It's about this guy mm-hmm. named Artie Lavonzo, and he, he talks about his life as a wreck softball league player. It is hilarious. It is so funny, and it just it's gross. It's funny. It's yep. it is a guilty pleasure movie. Sorry, I'm <laughs> interrupting you. Uh, you were saying.
1: Speaking of guilty pleasure movies, it's perfect. Uh, Private Parts is actually a really good movie. Howard Stern is really good in it. He plays himself from the 70s into what was then modern day. I think it came out in 97, might be the great movie, Onslaught of 97. Um, You know, it's his life, his professional life. He doesn't hold much back. He acknowledges how much cringe material he was putting out, who he was, what he was about how he got his start, it's crude, but it's also very funny. It's very moving the the relationship with his then wife. Um, you know, they as a couple went through miscarriage together and his reactions to that and how he used that on air and what his wife's reaction was and um it's a good movie. I didn't read the book, but um the the movie is if, if you're not a Howard Stern fan or you actively dislike him and you skip the movie um, I still recommend giving it a look because he does acknowledge that he's kind of a jerk, and but he does draw a line between the on-air Howard and the private Howard, and hence the title, Private Parts.
0: I mean, he, I mean it's, it's one of the things that he literally changed up the course radio. When he went to satellite,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. people want to say it, but that pretty much ended terrestrial radio.
1: Yeah. People thought it was going to end Howard Stern.
0: And he ended Terrestrial Radio. He literally put the the fork in Terrestrial Radio. You don't, when you listen to radio now, even in your car, whatever it is, your satellite, even if you don't have satellite, the regular stations, they don't really have DJs anymore. They they have iHeartRadio, one DJ per, like, 15 stations and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have left the business.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. do other things. Now, how can people interact with you on social media?
1: Twitter is always up, so that's a good place to find me. My handle there and everywhere is Edenza, E D E N Z A.
0: I gotta ask, what was the thought behind the name? I I forgot. I was gonna ask you that question.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, Um, back in the days of blogging, around 2001 ish, um, I would you know people used to blog under assumed names because you wanted to maintain a little privacy, and I used Eden, E D E N. I don't remember if I even used a last name at the point. Then social media came along. Everyone kind of got outed with their names and stuff like that. So I had kept the Eden part. And then since my last name has an EN in it, I added the Z from my last name. And then to feminize it, I added an A. So that's it. It's Eden. And then the N's. And then the A.
0: Okay. See, now I, mine is Tequila's Tequila because uh, Tequila summarizes my favorite right. They're really not hard when I post them one. So we of me having one. Um, But you can find our podcast. Not my our. This is our podcast. Everywhere you will find great podcasts. Nowhere you'll find shitty podcasts. But we want to thank you for this for joining us for the episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast with Biggs and Lynch. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Never marry a Kardashian.